We started culturally speaking to indulge our curiosity about the way others live and a desire to inspire conversations about how we have far more in common than we realise. Hey everyone, another week, another episode. I'm really excited about this one because I think it's near and dear to our hearts. Yeah, and also um, I had a lot of fun researching it. And I think I, you know, so, okay, we are talking about British foods through history. And I think people who have been listening to us for a while know how much we adore food. Um, And yeah, during my research, I found a lot of interesting dishes and I feel like I could probably eat through all of these eras it's nothing right too this weird second probably not like I've just had dinner which is a good time no. to do a food episode because we're not hungry otherwise I feel like I'd just be salivating over <laughs> before we start though like I need to tell you I had the weirdest experience last night so I bought this new body lotion because I'd use up my current one and it's from Sanctuary Spa and it's called something like de-stressing soothing warming body lotion yeah so it sounds lovely it comes in like a deep purple um, tube and it's got lavender it's got ginger oil it sounded amazing and as you know Sundays are my pamper days I thought after my bath let me put a bit of this on um and I'll caveat the whole thing by saying I think it might be user error. I love how do you use, how do you use so, body lotion the wrong way? <laughs> well, as I found out, you could. So I got out of the bath. I had some magnesium salts uh, infused with all kinds of lovely scents. So I was feeling nice and relaxed. And I thought, you know what? Let me be extra relaxed and try this new lotion. So I put it all over my shoulders, my arms, my legs. And I thought, don't feel the heat at all. Like, I don't know why this is called a warming lotion. Just don't feel it. About 20 seconds later, I was on fire. Like, I'm not even kidding. I was walking around the bathroom thinking, what have I done? Am I allergic to something? Why is this happening? And I was so desperate that I took off the underwear that I had already put on, jumped back into the shower, turned it to full coldness and had a cold shower and it did not stop the heat. I was literally burning. Are we talking like on fire? Like, yes. Like ants on your skin, like that kind of. Yes. It was like, imagine deep heat, but times 20. How much did you put on? Normal body lotion amount. and. But when I looked at my skin, there was no redness, no irritation. Like my skin was not reacting to it as if it had an allergic reaction. I was just on fire. And I just, I was so helpless because I tried slathering on aloe vera, didn't do anything. The cold shower didn't do anything. And I was walking around like fanning myself because I was just on fire. And I was panicking a little bit. And then I got the tube just to double check, like, is there anything weird in it? So the feeling it, it, it gave was kind of if you cut chilies and then rub your eyes with it. It's that kind of hot. It's literally burning. 
And then tiny little text at the back, don't use after a hot shower. So I wonder <laughs> if it's because my body temperature was already too hot after the bath. And so it activated maybe, it even more. Yeah, but honestly, it was a ride. It lasted about 20 minutes. And I was walking oh. around, I put on as little as possible that was still decent and went on my balcony for cold air and I was still burning. I was just like, I was sweating on my forehead. I was like, what is happening? You needed like an ice pack to like cool your I know, but my ice pack at home is for like, you know, your forehead. Like it's not going to be big enough for my body. It's like, do you know those menopausal women that stick their head in the freezer in the supermarket? You needed yeah, that for your whole body. Basically. You need to go find a walk-in freezer. I mean, exactly. God, it was terrible. But I still love sanctuaries, but I think it's user error. So I may try it again when the weather is colder and maybe but a targeted it's area. The, it's not the weather. Read the instructions. You don't use it after a bath. You need to just use it like when you're not coming out. I know, but you know, I run hot. So I think I might still find it unpleasantly warm. And I went back online to check the reviews to see if anyone has had this experience. And actually, everybody was like, oh, one star, one star removed because I didn't feel the heat at all. I think it's <laughs> just you. It was so hot. But also, <laughs> when else are you supposed to use that other exactly. than after a bath? Like, that is exactly. when I moisturize. Because I always moisturize when I'm still a little bit damp. So I don't know. I don't know if anyone's listening has tried this and I found a better way to use it. I'm all ears because I don't want to waste it. You have to bring this to dinner next time we go out. I will. I, I mean, yeah, I, I just, it was, it was terrible. I had, um, so I had a shower again because I was in a hot mess after my shower. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> oh, anyway. <Normal> that though. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about regency period actually before the start of the regency period breakfast used to be quite a large meal with eggs kidneys chops liver which is a nightmare for you um and eaten at about 10 but in regency period breakfasts were more relaxed and more informal and they were eaten in the drawing room rather than um i guess the dining room or the kitchen and would have been based around cakes which is quite a separation from what it used to be. And do you want to explain what a drawing room is? I mean, for anyone that's watched Bridgerton. Yeah, <laughs> basically. No, so I believe drawing room was literally another separate area that you wouldn't necessarily entertain in. It's where the family would gather mm. um, because you would have formal, like, sitting rooms dining rooms where you would entertain people or receive people but the drawing room would be more I think where the family mm. would use um for their purposes and literally as the name suggests right you make draw read sew, etc yeah and so with the cakes apparently favorites included things like honey cake plum cake french bread brioche and uh they use spices like caraway seeds saffron ground ginger in the cakes. Uh, they had tea and hot chocolate, uh, although the Prince Regent and many of the dandy 
<laughs> were known to drink alcohol first thing. And so I think not much has changed uh, for some people. Um, lunch was actually quite a new invention. This is because breakfast was eaten earlier. Yeah. Right. And you needed a little snack in between um, to bridge the day. So this snack became lunch and was eaten between one and three. Um, and it was around this time that sandwiches were first seen, although not as we know them today. They were really small triangles eaten using a knife and fork. Cute. Are these very like afternoon tea type sandwiches? I think so. And then dinner was normally eaten at about five and it would be extravagant. And I think throughout history until, you know, probably wartime, uh, that used to be the norm, right? Dinner used to be a whole spread and it's an event because there was no other entertainment, to be fair. Um, all the dishes of the courses were laid up on the table at the start of the meal. And the etiquette noted that the table should be covered but not crowded. Dinner was normally eaten at around five, which I think is a little bit early for me. I think six is better for me. Um, and the first course would normally be soup, such as chestnut or artichoke soup. In seaside towns, there would be a fish course as it was easier to get fish and it would be something like mackerel with fennel and mint, which sounded delightful. And then the next course would be roasted meat, sweet and savory pies, tarts, game, other fish. And then they would also have vegetables which were drowned in a rich butter sauce um, <laughs> because butter was more expensive than meat. So it showed yes. off wealth. Pickled vegetables were also very popular. Um, and actually, apparently, fa uh, veg was quite new, like, and fashionable back in the day <laughs> because people would believe vegetables were bad for you. Um, and then you'd have dessert. Often these were displayed in a fashionable pyramid shape, especially fruit and marzipan. Oh, I hate yes. marzipan. Blah. Sugar was believed to help digestion and often a drink containing spiced sweet ginger was consumed to help close an overfull stomach. Um, and there are things called comforts. Um, these were roots and spices covered in layers of sugar, believed to be medicinal. Uh, licorice is one of those that they would eat after dinner. And then you had supper, which yes. was uh, as late as 10 or 11. So this mm. would be for people returning from the opera, the theater. Um, they'd have you know a warm drink or a light meal, like a soup. And this weird, really gross thing, <laughs> I think it's a negus or a negus, was made up for guests 20 minutes before they were due to leave. Guess what it's made of? It's not something you would eat. I don't know, but the name's not particularly appealing either. So it was made of calves foot jelly, wine, boiling water, lemon and spices. Well, to what age though? Like, what? What is? Why is that something you want to say goodbye on? I don't like, know. Never return. <laughs> they are never. They have this. Um, so, is it savory? Do you reckon? But the liver. I think. Well, no. So the calf's foot jelly is probably just for the texture, isn't it? Because they didn't have manufactured gelatin before. Right, and they used to boil um, all of these things. Right, so it's sort of a gloopy textured wine with... Oh, maybe I can get on board with that, actually, if it's like a kind of boozy, lemony, spiced 
jelly. See, nothing's too weird for me to eat unless it's insects. Oh, so that's funny because I don't mind insects. Oh, no. No. Like the crunchy ones, like in Thailand. That's okay. But yeah, I'm not it's talking only because lie. you can't tell it's insects. <laughs> right, like anything deep fried is nice. Shall we talk about weird foods that Victorians used to the eat? Victorians are twisty in general, historically. So I can't so, wait to see what they ate. Some of them are not so weird, so I'm not going to describe them. But for example, marrow toast. So I think we still eat bone marrow. I think that's okay. I was going to say, that like had a resurgence. Do you remember where you couldn't move for want of seeing bone marrow on a menu? Yeah. Like, uh, I guess in my culture, it's a delicacy. Like, uh, No, but do you remember when it just be like there was a sudden moment here? Oh, the nose to tail eating. And like bone marrow mash. Bone marrow, on, like bone marrow on toast would be a thing. Bone marrow gravy. Amazing. Yeah. So... There's something called broxy, so B-R-O-X-Y. Okay. Horrible. It's actually horrible. So times were tough for the poor during Victorian era. I mean, they're tough for the poor during any era. Uh, And many would take anything they could get like broxy. Broxy was an umbrella term. Brace yourself. For any meat the butcher had for sale that had dropped dead from disease. I know. That is going to kill you if it's diseased. and Sheep at the time. I mean, I don't know about sheep nowadays, but back then they were incredibly susceptible to communicable diseases like tetanus, salmonella, ringworm. And they were most often sold as broxy meats. What people did apparently was to rinse it with vinegar and lemon to remove potential disease that can make them ill. So... Hang on. The reason I'm saying, wait, this might be a thing, because do you remember there was the whole discussion about people that wash their chicken? Yes. And some people wash it in vinegar, like an acid. Really? Hmm. I, th- I think it's not a thing here, though. No, but I think in some cultures it is because that's how they, they're used to preparing the meat. Mm. And I could, I guess... Again, the chemistry is probably beyond my comprehension, but the acid goes some way to killing off some of the germs. Yeah, let's not stay there. (laughs) Well, I mean, look, I'm not eating diseased sheep, but sure. (laughs) So one of of my favourite things to eat, actually, kedgeree, came about then. Isn't that because of the empire, though? Yes, it is. Yeah. So for people who've never had it, it's smoked haddock, usually milk, rice, um, and you kind of cook it. It should be free-flowing rice. Yeah. And it yeah. should be spiced Yeah, with curry. Normally there's yeah. an egg. In yes, there's an egg. Soft-boiled egg. Um, um, apparently Victorians loved eating kedgeri for breakfast, which yeah. I think is a bit heavy, to be honest, for me. Yes, but you do see it on a lot of brunch menus. I do like it, it's, it's, and it's very easy to make at home. Um, boiled calf's head, anyone? What is with all the calves? Seriously, what did the baby cows ever do to anyone? Well, think about it, though. Even in modern agriculture, like, calves, especially male calves, have very low value. Yes, because they won't reproduce. So I, there must have been an excess of it. 
right. Um, in 1861, there was a book called The Book of Household Management, edited by Isabella Beaton. And I actually have a recipe book by Mrs. Beaton on my shelves. Classic. Actually details how one would prepare a boiled calf's head. Do we want to listen to it? Go on. Humor me. Okay. I promise not to promise immediately. <laughs> the process began with scraping off the hair. Removing the eyes and brain and cutting off the ears. The head was then boiled in salted water. While it was cooking, the brains would be prepared separately, sauteed with salt, pepper, parsley, cayenne, lemon juice, and butter. These were then presented on a platter, neatly surrounding the detached tongue of the calf. And then the head would be placed at the center of the table for the guests to look at. So from what I gather, you're just eating the brain. And the tongue, which well, people still eat now. But the tongue's in the middle of the platter. Yeah, you'd eat it. Mm. I thought it was just for decoration. It is actually quite nice. <laughs> Sorry, people who are vegetarian and vegan and pescatarian. Um, pickled oysters. Oh. I'm not sure about this one. Okay. I like... You know we love a good oyster. Yeah. And I like them raw as well as the baked version or the Japanese tempura version. But pickled, just extra slimy, isn't it? Depends what... Because if you think about when we eat raw oysters and we douse them in, like, lemon and, you know, yeah, maybe. vinegar and shallots, if it's a quick pickle, sure. Not, like, sitting there for months. Maybe. Um... <sighs> This is called water sushi or sauchi, like S-O-U-C-H-Y. This is literally the description. Think seafood stew, but with a lot less flavor. It literally means seafood water. So Victorians would throw their fresh catch or fishy leftovers into a pot with water. They'd bring it to a boil, add some parsley root and wine. And that's it. It's kind of like fish stock, no? It sounds pretty watery to me. <laughs> the next era that I looked at was the Elizabethans. So they had three meals like we do. Although to confuse people who are not from the UK. So breakfast is breakfast. Lunch is dinner. And dinner is supper. Yeah. Yeah. What did you call lunch or dinner? Did you call it dinner or do you call it lunch? Lunch. Right. But then there was dinner time at school. And that was the, always a confusing one to me. At my school, I think we called it tea. <laughs> like dinner was tea. Tea would be in the evening. Yeah, yeah. So tea, wait. So tea is dinner, yeah? Yeah, so it would be breakfast, yeah, yeah. lunch so and tea. tea. Yeah, same, same. Because like you'd say, you know, when you were little and like some people like, oh, like, can I go to her house for tea? Or can I invite him to tea? And there's that book, right? The tiger. Like the who tiger came to book. tea? Yeah. My favourite. But that's because he actually comes for tea. But yeah, there's tea and then there's prep time, <laughs> seven to nine. <laughs> um, anyway, so with the Elizabethans, uh, the foods eaten really depended on wealth and status. Uh, I guess also modern times. Um, they enjoyed all kinds of meat. So beef, pork, lamb, mutton, bacon, veal, deer, uh, peacock apparently was eaten, swan, Ooh. goose, 
Um, the diet also included fresh water and sea fish, salmon, trout, eel, pike, sturgeon. I didn't know people ate sturgeon. I thought they were just for caviar. Caviar. Mm. Yeah. Um, for the poor, bread was usually a staple food and you'd have it with butter, cheese, eggs. Um, I'm going to say potage, but it might be pottage. You know, it's like Can you just say potage oh. again? Pottage. <laughs> I definitely think it's pottage. Just so you know. Is it actually pottage? As in, I think it is. <laughs> You've just. I mean, a lot of it. a lot of food words did come from France, though. If you think well, about what we call food, what is pottage? <laughs> so it's a vegetable soup thickened with oats. That's Which definitely okay. pottage. That's definitely <laughs> pottage. <laughs> Okay, so, um, you know, was it, it wasn't in last week's episode, but I think outside of the podcast, I was telling you about Fishy Fridays. I think it was, yes. Yeah, so apparently in 1563, in order to support the fishing industry, Queen Elizabeth made it a law that everybody had to eat fish on Wednesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. I mean, that would suit me down to the ground because that's basically my life. You could go to jail for three months if you disobey this law. Get on board with the peskies. <laughs> um, so they also ate fruit and veg, but also they thought it was, you know, suspicious as a food group. <laughs> um, <laughs> so they rarely ate them raw. They would make them in like jams, you know, tarts, pies. I think a lot of people know this um, back in the days where water was considered unsafe to drink. Um, they drank ale and apparently because it's so weak, even children drank ale. I just want to know why nobody was dehydrated. Maybe they were. Yet they lived so long, some of them. I mean, alcohol, like wine has water, like it is water content too. What was interesting when I did my research was that during this period, a lot of foods we now think are very common were new to society because they were discovered in the new world. Yes. Such as tomatoes from Mexico. Yes. They have such a cute name. They used to be known as love apples. Love apples. I know. I love tomatoes. Um, Me too. Good roasted tomato soup amazing or just really good fresh tomatoes turkey came from mexico and central america kidney beans was a new thing (gasps) from peru and of course uh, walter raleigh yes potatoes of course yes because potatoes feel so british now they're not though they're really or irish but they're really not yeah and something that's hilarious about how they made the meal so obviously they don't have your kitchen aid they don't have you know induction hobs and any of these but for things. the so- record i do not have a kitchen aid because i cannot bake <laughs> so we'll just um so preparing meals was a chore and meats would be roasted on a spit you know old school and you had to manually turn the spit to make it roast evenly and apparently in large kitchens of aristocrats, 
that just reminded me of the aristocrats. Anyway, <laughs> so aristocrat how aristocratic households would have dogs doing this task. How? They're called turnspit dogs. Turnspit dogs. They are now extinct, but they were bred especially for the purpose and would be made to walk inside a wheel, like a hamster oh wheel. Oh my god, no but much bigger that then slowly rotate at the meat. And I'm guessing there's some gears happening. Um, the poor doggies. Animal welfare would have a field day today. They were also used to power fruit presses and butter churns. And I actually think, I have you been to, um, what's that castle? Hampton Court Palace. I remember actually, you know, because you could go in and look at the old, old timey Kip- kitchen. Yeah. I remember a massive spit situation so to keep the to keep the dogs moving hot coal would be put into the wheel oh, oh no i know or collars would be put onto the dogs that would choke them unless they kept walking no i no i'm sorry i'm so glad we've moved on from that guys <laughs> oh, babies obviously i'm not going through every single era but i think our food history took a turn when war happened. And I think most countries in the world, when they go through war times, you know, we're all familiar with the idea of rationing. I was reading about like special British wartime food products. So we had the Ministry of Food. Yes. And it sounds fake. You know what I mean? Like it sounds (laughs) like the Ministry of Funny Walks. But keeping a nation fed is mm. a legitimate like operation in a war the home front well, right, you needed to... for a country like ours where firstly we're a small island mm. and if i mean sure we import a lot of food now but even then right we relied on other countries to supply food yeah yeah and i mean what actually happened out of this is that people got healthier Yes, because, you, well, it's natural, isn't it? Mm. So the Ministry of Food invented some food products and legislated their production to substitute for other things. So, for example, white flour was banned for most part for household mm. use, which I support. White flour is not good for you guys. Um, it was still allowed commercially to make biscuits and things like that. Instead, they replaced it with national flour. <laughs> the official name was wheat meal so it's not quite whole wheat flour um it left all the bran in it though so it was quite gray and apparently some women in desperation geniuses would sieve it through their nylon stockings to try to yes. get the white flour out i do remember reading about that in school yeah so then if you kept chickens you could then feed that bran of your chickens which is quite any idea um bakers were obliged to use the national flour to make only one type of bread which is called the national loaf <laughs> <laughs> nutritionists praised the composition of the bread and fought for it to be the only legal bread after the war then we wouldn't have great british bake-off would we <laughs> the population however dubbed it hitler's secret weapon because they hated it so much Wow. That's a strong statement. (laughs) Um, So fresh fluid milk was limited. So 
um, we had two different types of powdered milk created. The one was household milk, which is a dried skim milk for general consumption. The other one was national dried milk. I love how they put national in front of everything yeah. to encourage people to use it. Well, um, you've got to get that patriotism going, haven't you? Yeah, and during times are time, tough. definitely. Yeah. Mm. So this is actually a dried full cream milk powder aimed at feeding infants. Right. Which makes sense. I guess that's, is that like baby formula today? Probably. Mm. Do you know, I saw this thing where now you can, do you know how you can get like a coffee machine? You mm -hmm. can get a baby formula machine that spits out baby formula. <laughs> I'm not joking. Anyway, sidebar. Um, then a national cheddar was made. So all cheese making resources and capacity were diverted to cheddar. Well, I mean, cheddar's a pretty great cheese and it's very British. Cheddar gorge, people. I like a red luster, you know? Rogue. Like <laughs> cheddar is a bit too like. Do you feel boring. it in your teeth? No. I do like cheddar, but Red Leicester for a, you know, harder medium cheese, I prefer Red Leicester. It would take the British cheese industry decades to recover because of this. And from July 1942 onwards, there was national dried egg courtesy of the US. Sorry, One what? packet. Do you not know about dried egg? No. Oh my God, loads of places use it still. Probably not the same formula, but when you go no, to, when you go to, um, you know, when you go to holiday sometimes and you stay in these hotels, which do a breakfast buffet, this is why I never eat scrambled eggs out unless I can see them cook it. You can tell when it's powdered egg. I'm 100% sure at my uni in the canteen, because I ate at the canteen in my first year while staying in halls, I can bet you 100% it was powdered eggs. Really? Mm. I didn't know that was a thing. Because again, I don't normally eat the scrambled eggs at a hotel. Yeah. Not exactly. for that reason, but normally because they have cream or milk in, and that normally mm -hmm. is very triggering for me. But, ah. Yeah. Um, there was also a national butter and two types of national margarine. Um, Meat does not did not escape rationing and was the last thing to come off the ration list in 1954. So Can we first of all, pause so for a second. 1954. I don't think people realize how long rationing went on in this country, mm -hmm. considering the war ended. Yeah. In 45. Yeah. It's a decade later. Yeah, we're still eating. That's yeah. how long it took us to recover. Mm. So, some meats were not rationed. Um, horse meat was not rationed. <laughs> um, and offal and sausages were only rationed for a couple of years, but offal was still scarce and sausages would be filled with a lot of things that are not meat. Um, and then well, the Ministry of Food. <laughs> that's why I'm laughing. I feel like if people understood what went into a sausage commercially, they would never eat it again. Oh, I, I don't buy sausages anymore unless no. the Ministry of Food passed the regulation that sausages had to contain at least 10% meat. I think that's scary. 10%. Commercially, 
there are laws around what you can call something nowadays, right? That's why you get cheese slices, which are slight like cheese flavored slices instead of cheese. Yeah, so I always thought that was just like EU advertising rules, but it makes sense. <laughs> Have you ever seen um, canned cheese, like sp spray cheese in America? Yes, you know, I have thoughts about this, like so many thoughts. How? Um, Why? I know. So meat pies were also not rationed, but the meat was likely to be spam. Yes. Do you know, though, spam is still like eaten very widely. I mean, you do know in South I, Asia. I still eat it. Yeah. Like in South Korea, people love spam. Oh, in Hawaii, it's like an actual thing. Yeah. Also, actually, slight sidebar. So, as you know, and as some of our listeners may know, generally in Southeast Asia, we get these seasonal monsoons. And obviously now with better infrastructure and generally better quality of life, um, it doesn't really cause too many problems. But back in the day, especially maybe my parents or their parents' generation, there's always a few things which are tinned goods mm. that you would have on typhoon nights because those days are when you couldn't buy fresh produce in the markets because they'd be closed so yeah. one of them would be spam uh one of them would be tin sardines and tomato sauce <laughs> or it could be baked beans and you just have oh, a rice i can't eat baked beans why i quite like them they, they just make me gag okay let's just move on from baked beans then they're so sweet. They are. They are. I've, I've not had baked beans in a long time, actually, because, you know, now I'm all about not eating artificial foods. Um, yeah, but it's a fond memory, you know, and this is going to gross you out even more. We don't typically warm them up. You just pour them out of a can and you eat it with hot rice. And it's oh, super good. Stop. <laughs> not even what. Like, it's like, do you know in Canada, they put them in, like, they have them in maple syrup. Oh, no, that's bad. No, also that's worse. here, I think you probably didn't grow up here when it was a thing, but I remember like when we were children and you'd go to yeah. someone's house for tea and sometimes they'd have baked beans, but they'd have baked beans with like sausages in them. They'd come with sausages in the can. Have you seen those? Yes. They are not sausages though. I don't know what they are. The, the, there's, a, there's one of the, yeah, you can get them with pork sausages. Yeah. Okay, moving on from sausages and beans. <laughs> Which actually is a pretty British combination. Yeah. Um, I read that in the, in the 40s, there was this thing called the pig and chicken clubs. Which when I read it, I was like, you know, like pigs and chickens, like what, hanging out? Like what's happening? So apparently um, a lot of commercially farmed hens had to be killed and sold off as food because there's no food to feed the chickens. Mm -hmm which led to an egg shortage and which led to egg rationing of one egg per person a week which is a nightmare i have two eggs a day at least like, it's the egg powder correct expectant mothers and vegetarians were allowed two a week i'm telling you we'd, we'd share three three okay we'd share three between us sorry sharing happens. is not caring in the situation <laughs> So when Janice says we're sharing, what she means is she's getting three eggs and she knows that I won't eat. 
Um, consequently, people who hadn't kept chickens could start keeping them in their back gardens because then you can have unrationed eggs. But the what happens was, if you already had chickens? That you had to kill them? Uh, everybody had to give up their egg ration. Oh. But then you got entitlement for grain rations instead for your chickens. Right. Which is a really roundabout way to do this. So the famous Savoy Hotel in London had its own chicken farm set up by Hugh Wantner, the, the then managing director, which supplied the Savoy with its, with its own unrationed source of chicken and eggs. But they were still required to ration them on the menu to the customers. They could just <laughs> keep them. Um, then communities set up neighborhood pig clubs. So together they would buy a pig and then feed it scraps from the households involved. If you belong to the pig club, um, the fact that you registered to a pig club, you had to give up your meat coupons. If you kept a private pig, I love how it's called a private pig <laughs> instead of a, well, a public pig. Um, you had to register the pig. As a member of the household. I guess. Part of the <laughs> Imagine you're like, you're voting forms and everything, like your registry. Your the electoral roll. How many pigs are there? Half, half a pig. Um, because half of it was supposed to go to the government, but obviously yeah. not everybody would register their pigs, which is a ridiculous thing. Um, but it's not, because pigs, if you think about it, think about how many people a pig can feed. Yeah. In fact, I read something, yeah, I read something interesting yesterday, and I'm not about to start a war on this podcast or on social media, but someone was making an argument that it really depends on what the reason for veganism is. Like, obviously there are people with religious reasons or animal cruelty reasons, etc. But this whole article was saying that in terms of the harm done to the environment, killing one cow costs less and feeds more people than growing enough crops to feed one person or to feed as many people. Because if you think about all the insecticides, pesticides, um, clearing out land and therefore killing the whole food chain, basically, which was interesting. Like, I think I'm not going to, you know, pick a side on this argument, but it was just something interesting that I read. That wasn't what I was going to say, but <laughs> okay. I think it was you who told me, like, you can buy a part of a cow. Yes, yeah, so I used to do that. I think, unfortunately, because of COVID, um, that company has changed its operation. But there's a company that I used to, um, I used to buy from where you place your order and they portion it fairly. So you can't really pick, you know, yeah. all the nice steaks or whatever. They portion it fairly, and only when the entire cow has been purchased, then they slaughter it and then deal with it, so that there's no food wastage. So you were almost in like a communal pig situation, but with the cow. I'm a cow club, cow yeah. club member. Um, so fats were on ration because they were used for explosives and lubricants. Mm -hmm. um, so national butter. Apparently butter supplies used to come from New Zealand, but because of the war, that was reduced. So they created that national like butter. feels like a very like long way for butter to travel i know how do they keep it like not melted like, how does it not go rancid i don't know 
Did you see that thing about people making butter in the dishwasher? No. What? <laughs> like I swear, the dishwasher has become like the new. I've only seen gadget. Um, I've Fish? only seen people using it basically to sous vide things. Yeah, like cooking your because fish. it makes sense. It's at a constant temperature. It, it's wrong. I know. I'm not saying do it, but I understand the science behind it. So apparently, people were inventive in how they boosted the supply of butter at home. Some people recalled that you'd do things like sweet talk the women at work canteens to put lots of butter on a scone, not eat it, bring it home, and then scrape off the butter. Oh, <laughs> your face. You looked more gross out about this than anything else I've said so far. I'm just wondering about it traveling and melting and then it being stuck from your scone going onto your toast. I know, and crumbs. I can't Mm. stand crumbs on my butter. Clean knife. Do you know when people butter a slice of toast? Yeah. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, I need not say anymore. But also, so I have a butter dish because, guys, yes. spreadable butter is not good for you. So eat proper butter. My God. So I get a really sharp knife and slice off from the short side, yeah? Like yes. nicely. The number of people I've seen who just go from the top and cave it in. No, guys, it's wrong. There's only one way to use butter. And it's not caving the top in. That's just horrible. I don't know how people do it. In fact, like on the weekend, I was on a video call with my brother and we um, baked a cake with his kids, like virtually. Yes. So imagine a round cake, yeah? Any normal person would cut, if you wanted a little bit, you'd cut a skinny wedge and pull it out and eat it. <laughs> just to annoy me, he cut off a cube from the edge. And then he cut off another cube from that gas, <laughs> not on the same line. And he zoomed in and said, I did this just for you. That's love. I know. Sibling, right. sibling banter. Um, we'll get off our butter soapbox. Yeah. So let's come to modern times. Oh, how modern? So I think you've got a list, right, of people ranking classic British foods. Shall we do a bit of ranking? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so I'm going to flop my phone. So it goes from the god tier at the top right the way down to, I don't swear, so I'm not going to use the word, but the bad tier. That's not, that's not a swear word. I'll say it's it. not a swear word. Yeah, okay, well, it's just not in my vocabulary. So. So anyway, there's five tiers, right? The God tier, the top tier, the mid tier, the low tier, and the bottom tier. So savory foods. Give me, give me the God tier. Okay, so I'm looking at this and I will give you my ranking with the same list of food. And we can and we can post this on our Instagram so people can tell us what they think. I would agree that Yorkshire pudding is up there and Sunday roast. I do very much like so both of them. Why is the Yorkshire pudding not part of the Sunday roast? Because if I look at the picture, I swear there's a Yorkshire pudding on there. Why does the Yorkshire pudding get its own mention? I don't know. Maybe people eat it on its own. I, I've never 
eaten it as a standalone item but do you ever eat a yorkshire pudding with just gravy somebody told me from the north they do that you almost what, just use it like a dish the roast yeah they have the roast as well but first they'll have the yorkshire pudding with gravy <laughs> maybe that's why it's on this list explain my face Je shook or confused i'm not sure <laughs> okay so sunday roast yeah that's very typical very british love to do it so bacon sandwich i feel like that's hangover food and a full english crumpets crumpets oh, i do love i love a crumpet yeah do people Fish get it in other countries i've not seen them you can in hong kong like in the yeah. mns in hong kong you can buy crumpets Fish and chips. There's a time and a place for fish and chips. Fish and chips are not British, though. Yeah, exactly. So, demoted. Okay, I've never understood toad in the hole. I don't understand it. Like, why? Why do I want my sausages covered in Looks batter? obscene. <laughs> Should we go to the rubbish things? Yeah, let's do it. Black pudding. My cousin came from Sydney like earlier in the summer and he's like, I just don't understand. I love it. I love black pudding. I love blood sausage in any culture. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Liver and onions. You look, you look unsure about our friendship right now. <laughs> no, I mean, look, again, because it's not something I eat anymore. But Fair. Okay. Liver and onions. Love it. My dad grew up on liver. He likes it. Everybody, tr- unless you're not eating meat, should try to have liver once a week. Very good for you. Yeah, mm. the iron. Um, okay, should we move to sweet things? This yes. is going to be your domain because I feel like you you know your sweets. Right? I also don't have a sweet tooth, so I think I'm a bit. Biased. Neither do I. Okay. Right, god tier, obviously scones. Hundred percent, love it, and guys cream and then jam i will not have it any other way of course it has to be that way right victoria sponge Mm. it's a good classic but it would not be my go-to cake controversial opinion victoria sponge always disappoints me like i I always yeah i'm left feeling like and like what else yeah what's the second i think it needs every the thing is because it's so simple that's always the way with cooking right the s- simpler it is the more perfect it has to be like every single thing about it has to be perfect yeah also i think some of the things in the top tier could potentially be god tier for me so sticky toffee pudding see mm, i'm funny about it because it's always too sweet and then my teeth hurt it is but this is why like i in the winter if i ever have a dessert i'll have like a spoonful of that and then i'm like mm. I'm good. That's it. Pudding. Sorry, pudding, we should say. Battenberg cake, again, not British. Yeah. Battenberg. Can we just like... Do you know so, what? I'm surprised by how many people don't like Christmas pudding, according to this survey. Me. You don't like I Christmas don't, I don't understand it. It's I love the brandy sauce. Yeah, but that's the sauce. <laughs> that's the, I'm there for the sauce. I'm not there for the... I pudding. like the bit where you light it on fire. Yeah. For a bit of dinner theatrics, but I don't understand why it's good. Yes. Mm, I do like that. Yeah. So the last bit I wanted to share 
very close to my heart is the introduction of Chinese food to this country. Ah. It started appearing in the early 1880s, which is incredibly early, um, usually visited by Chinese like seamen and students. And then as part of a restaurant in the International Health Exhibition in South Kensington in 1884, um, they introduced Chinese food on the menu. And the first recorded Chinese restaurant in London was actually in 1907 or 1908. Um, and really, you know, similar to our conversation about immigration, it's after the Second World War where returning service personnel from Hong Kong maybe settled or, you know, traveled through the UK. Um, then Chinese restaurants became more popular. Have you ever eaten a Chinese takeaway? Yeah. <laughs> what do you get? I can't imagine, I cannot imagine you had a Chinese takeaway. So I would get like a lemon chicken, which is a legit dish. And I one that I wouldn't make at home because you need to deep fry things. Or I would get something like a black bean sauce stir fry, which again is a legit thing. But I would never get something like a chopped soy. Like that's a, that's a made up thing, guys. That's just, it doesn't exist. Interesting. I learn something new about you all the time. <laughs> We've talked about this before, but just as an ending, I'm going to ask you, what's your death row meal? I'd start with dumplings. And I mean all kinds of dumplings, right? I'm not choosy. I'm indiscriminate. Okay. Because my dumplings, right? I love like dim sum type dumplings. I love pierogies. I love momos. I love Indian types of dumplings. All kinds. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking encased in a little bit of dough or pastry on there. So that would be my starter. Mm -hmm. And then I think second course. In another life, I feel like I was meant to be a New Englander. You know, yeah. Maine, the seashore. I do love like my nautical, I love my little like nautical tops. So you, you do. Me, like, a little sailor, yeah. So I think it would have to be a lobster roll. You know. Okay. Even it. Keep me a pesky um third ball very weirdly I think I'd, I'd, I'd lean into my Italian-ness because mm -hmm. I'm convinced again that like if you cut <laughs> me open I bleed a little bit Italian um I either want a really good cacio pepe and I'm in a really good cacio pepe oh my god don't even I have still yet to have one that ticks all the boxes for me we'll go there's a place in South Ken that I know we'll go okay no, that would that would be it. If I was if I was gonna be like no, as in for that course, that's I'm not finished. Okay, I was gonna say like, I don't know. I've got a bit to go. I just meant in terms of my Italianness, okay. I think that would be it. Because my alternative was if I was being un-Italian would be mac and cheese, but it's fine. I don't need to indulge in mac and cheese if I've got cacio okay. pepe. And then the next course, I think I'd bring it close to home. My mum, she does a really good prawn biryani. And okay. I want that. Um, I, and also, there's no consequences for the amount of carbs I'm eating here. Um, <laughs> so, yes, too carb heavy, kind of. And I'd want the really good, really big, fat, juicy, like shell on prawns. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'd want them like, oh, so good. So good. <laughs> and then I think to close, I'd want a really nice, like, tequila and lime granita to like cleanse interesting okay. yeah and then I think my dessert black forest gato has to be a uh, high five on that 
eight. That is one of my favorites. That would be me, I think. What about you? To start with, I'm with you on the lobster. So I'm going for a lobster beast. Mm-hmm. I am going for a prawn cocktail. The classic way with the iceberg lettuce with the prawns hanging over the bowl and with the Sorry, sidebar, but we we went for brunch. I think it was like last year at Balthazar, yeah. right? And you insisted on getting this prawn cocktail and it could have come. <laughs> I love Balthazar, by the way. I'm not like, I'm not trying to, you know, hate on Balthazar <laughs> at all, but it could have come out in the 70s. <laughs> That's how you want it, though. And then I'm going for a Japanese chirashi don, which is a sashimi rice. And it has to have sea urchin, guys. It has to. I did go for a tempura selection here. And I don't care about the tempura prawns because I've had a lot of prawns already, but the sweet potato and the aubergine are must-haves. I would then go for a medium rare rib eye, well seasoned, truffle mac and cheese to follow. I would have some Chinese roast meats just because it's a taste of home, I think. Mm-hmm. And then I went for a Yorkshire cheesecake. Oh. Not Yorkshire, sorry. New York. <laughs> I don't, I don't I know what a say, What's a Yorkshire cheesecake? <laughs> I New don't York know, cheesecake. maybe I've invented a new thing. I might throw in a cheese platter, you know, because I do like having the quince jelly, the grapes, the biscuit. I do like that. Oh, no, but then that's like, I, I didn't even get to drink. It's like the wine... That's the thing. So I haven't gone for alcohol at all. I went for a Yorkshire tea to finish. I would love like a sommelier to come and like give me a wine of like my entire six courses or whatever I just had. So on that, that's it for today's episode. And we'll come back next week with a different topic. Yeah, thanks everyone. And make sure you subscribe and like and review if you enjoyed the episode. Bye. Subscribe, rate and review on your favourite podcast platform and follow us on Instagram at Culturally Speaking Podcast. You can also check out our website, culturallyspeaking.co.uk for a transcript of this episode. Share your stories or your show ideas with us by sending us an email at theculturallyspeaking at gmail.com.